prayer for them. Let's also take time to get ourselves ready to study the Word of God. Let us pray. Father, we want to thank you for our young people. Thank you for the blessing of them. We're told that blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. So, Father, thank you for their parents. I want to pray for their parents. I want to pray for them. I want to pray for their teachers. Father, we're in a world that is so hostile. And yet, Father, they, they, they need your word and they need your love so very much. So, Father, I pray that the teachers will be able to communicate that to them. I pray as we open up your word together today as part of your family that we would indeed be able to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, we're at 1 Corinthians 15.10 right now. They're about 15.10, And 15.10 is one of those verses where Paul is saying, he's just given the gospel, uh, Brian read it again, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 6, is very clear, because Paul says, I delivered as a first importance. Primary, what is essential to the gospel? He died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Okay, That he was buried, really buried, and he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. And then he appeared to several people over the course of 40 days. So there's plenty of witnesses, and he said most of whom are still alive till now. So in 56 AD, when this was written, 23 years earlier, the resurrection had occurred, and most of the people who had seen the risen Christ were still alive. So if you were to start gathering up witnesses in an honest court of law, anywhere in history what you would find is, yes, he really died. There are witnesses to that. Yes, he really was buried. Ample witnesses to that. Both those who loved him and those who hated him, they're ample witnesses, and that he literally walked away from a grave. Now that's, that's essential to the gospel. He makes it clear. And then Paul goes on to say that, that you know, without that, where would I be? In 1 Corinthians 15:10, a beautiful verse, by the grace of God I am what I am. No matter who we are, where we are, no matter what race we are, what culture we find ourselves in, no matter what economic status, no matter anything in this world, whatever we are is there by the grace of God. We wouldn't exist apart from the grace of God. People say, are you charismatic? And I'm saying, I say, do you draw a breath? And they went, huh? Well, charis means grace. Charisma means a result of grace. And if you track it down, if you draw a breath, you're a result of grace. Everybody that does. So, I like to mess with people's heads from time to time. Sometimes I have to explain a lot more than I wanted to. But, am I charismatic? Yeah. In that regard, you betcha. All the way. Am I saved by grace through faith? Yes. That is the charismatic gift, Romans 6.23. We are saved by grace through faith. And, and that is a charismatic gift given to each and every one. It's called salvation. It's a gift as a result of grace. So Paul says, <clears throat> by the grace of God, I am what I am. 
But his grace toward me didn't prove empty or vain. It didn't become that way, again, oh my. But I labored. I worked to the point of exhaustion. Kapiao, more than all of them. He's talking about the other apostles. And yet not I, but the grace of God within me. So this is where we left off. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Paul's saying this is the gospel that I have given quite clearly. Galatians, written about four to six years before, uh, actually it's written about eight years before uh, 1 Corinthians, he opens it up and says, if I or an angel from heaven comes to you with a different gospel, don't listen to him. Paul recognizes he's a human being. He can make mistakes. He can head off the deep end. He said, but the gospel I brought you, that's the gospel. What is it? Right here it's defined for us. Now, the gospel is a message of grace toward those who are not worthy. Did we ever figure that out? A lot of us feel like uh, that we're worthy, maybe. If we had a pretty good life and didn't get in a whole lot of trouble, then maybe we are worthy of it. Uh, <clears throat> Gary and I were talking at the break there, and he heard Klaus Schwab the other day make some comment that they need to re- rewrite, rewrite the Bible so people could could uh, succeed. <sighs> In other words, you need a way to save yourself. You can just wait for it. The Bible is getting ready to come out, and I can tell you what's going to be in it, climate change. A little bit of everything else. It's all going to be in there. You know the climate is going to change. And the tribulation. No matter what they do. About. uh, You remember the uh, ozone layer. Not too long ago. And how we had to stop using aerosol cans. And we went out and bought all we could find. (coughs) At the time. (coughs) Let's go ahead and punch a hole in it. And you know what they found out since? It's closed up. Not be, hadn't got anything to do with the aerosol cans. It just opens and closes. It's kind of the breathing apparatus God put into this planet we know as Earth. That's that's what he did. So is climate going to change? Yeah, I read. I just got through finishing, going back through the book of Revelation, reformatting it, hopefully making it a little easier to read. It's up on the website right now. And you know, one thing I found out throughout the book of Revelation from chapter 6 to chapter 19, it turns the world into a mess. An absolute mess. Everything the climate cult worships God says, I'm going to judge your idols. I'm going to pull them down right there in front of your eyes. I'm going to bring a star out of heaven that's going to... Uh, it's supposed to cause a life extinction event, by the way, when he brings a brings wormwood down. That's supposed to kill everybody on planet Earth. And the fact that anybody survives is only a picture of the grace of God. And so you're going to find that all the way through, earthquakes... Like never, never imagined before. One that is going to make all the islands disappear. People should not be alive. The sun goes nova in one of the trumpet judgments. It's the only way you can read it. It just... Then guess what happens when Jesus comes back at the second advent? The only lights are artificial lights that are left. That's all that's left. Because he's going to light up the whole world. The light of the world is going to literally light up the world. We shouldn't be here. 
also by the, <laughs> it's not I am what I am. It's not only that. It's by the grace of God I am. <laughs> I exist. <clears throat> the gospel is a frontal assault on pride. Because pride says we can save ourselves. Pride says we can save the planet. The whole world is at his hands. We can't do any of that. We have no power to do that. The power that it took to speak and bring the heavens into existence, we can only imagine. We don't have anything remotely compares with that type of power. We don't even create things. Other than some people wanting to create new genders, we don't even create things. <clears throat> people think they can. They're one God and we're not him. That's the foundation of all truth. There's a God and I'm not him. When we appreciate God's grace by responding in word and deed, God lets the grace do the work in us. And that's Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, not just 8 and 9. Because we're saved by grace through faith, that none of ourselves. It is the gift of God, lest any should boast. But we are his workmanship. Created in him for good works, that we should walk in him. So we work to thank God. We don't work to get saved, keep saved, maintain our salvation, or prove our salvation. We work because he has saved us. That's the, the songs that we were singing this morning. Can, can we truly say, I will rise when he calls? First John 5.13 says, These things are written... Do you believe in Jesus Christ that you might know you have eternal life? It's not guesswork. It's not about whether you're good enough, whether you were too bad, or about whether you were elect or not. It's all about who did you trust. That's what it's all about. Appreciation of grace negates a prideful attitude of competition with other believers. <clears throat> no matter who we are, where we are, what status that God has put us in, we ought to walk humbly before our God. That's what it means to walk in a worthy manner. Not walk with pride and arrogance. We are to walk humbly. See, the gospel is even for the most unworthy. It's even for the most unworthy. I've had several friends throughout my life who have actually thought that they have sinned beyond God's reach. That what I have done, they have told me, that God can't accept this. And no matter how many times you explain it, you keep praying that their eyes will be open to the fact that nobody's beyond the reach of God. He says, just trust me. Trust me. It's all about the object of the faith. And if you trust him, even after you get saved, you're going to have a calmness about you nobody else can have. If you don't trust him, you're going to have anxiety, fear, guilt. You're going to carry those things around for the rest of your life. The gospel's even for the most unworthy. And Paul's trying to tell us he was one of them. He's already said, I persecuted the church of God. I am the least of the apostles. I am not fit. I'm not worthy. None are. Now what are the consequences of this decision? <clears throat> you believe that he rose again, okay? Verse 12, now since Christ is preached, this is, uh, you have if in English, 
It's what the Greek calls a first-class condition, if it's true and it is. So I translate those since. He is preached that way. Then he's been raised. I, I love where the Greek just brings things alive because normally you would expect an aorist tense, raised at a point in time, <clears throat> raised from the dead. You don't have an aorist tense here. You have a perfect tense. The perfect tense says he'd been permanently raised, never to die again. Now that's quite a statement. Perfect tense is completed action on the results that go on, and in this case, forever. He's been raised from the dead forever. How to some among you, this is the church at Corinth. Didn't, didn't Peter just say false teachers are going to arise among you? Some of them have already arisen, and some of them have infiltrated the church at Corinth. How do some among you say there's no resurrection of the dead? Now, if there is no resurrection of the dead, conclusion, simple reasoning, simple thought, <coughs> not even Christ has been permanently raised, perfect tense of a gyro once again. Now, not even is the, uh, is actually uh, not even or then, and it, th this is a particular conjunction that draws, and it, the, uh, it, it implies the inevitable nature of the conclusion. In other words, it's saying, if, he's, if there's no resurrection of the dead, Jesus has not been raised. That's, and why even bother to do that? Who infiltrated the church at Corinth? In verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, again a perfect tense, permanently raised, then our preaching is vain. Kenos means it's void of substance. There's nothing really to it. Because faith is all about the object of the faith, not what you can make yourself believe. What do you believe in is the question. That's the question. He says your faith also is Kenos, void of substance, without result. You got the object wrong. So if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, we're all in deep trouble. How important is the resurrection? That's how important it is. Some Corinthians, the summary, had, <coughs> had believed the Sadducees' doctrine that there is no resurrection of the dead. Jews, Pharisees, Sadducees. Um, my grandfather used to say they were always sad, you see. And he played that because <laughs> they didn't believe in a resurrection. So they were always sad, you see. <coughs> Paul finds himself in a bad situation. He's in the middle of a council and it's got Pharisees and Sadducees in there. And he's in a position where the argument, he's not winning the argument. He's kind of, no matter what they say, they are, what he says, they are so negative, they are not willing to listen. There is no discussion. They are typical modern day politicians. They don't listen to the other side. Okay. And so what, the, so what does Paul do? Led by the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> perceiving that one part were Sadducees and the other part Pharisees, Paul began crying out in the council, Brethren, I'm a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. I'm on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead. And as he said this, there arose a dissension 
between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor an angel, nor a spirit. But the Pharisees acknowledged them all. The Sadducees, see, were the liberal theologians of the first century. Okay? They were Jews. And they were the ones who had pushed together a Redeemer who lives. I know my Redeemer. And they'd pushed all this aside. He says, and there arose a great uproar. And some of the scribes of the Pharisaic party stood up and began to argue heatedly, saying, we find nothing wrong with this man. <laughs> Suppose a spirit or an angel has spoken to him. But the Sadducees didn't believe in spirits and angels. <laughs> and the Pharisees said, what if a spirit or an angel had spoken to him? And a great dissension was developing. The commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. And he ordered the troops to go down, take him away from them by force, and bring him into the barracks. So Paul had an opportunity to stand before kings and governors and the leaders and all that like the Lord told him was going to happen. He goes in and it's about to come apart and what does he do? Wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. He said, you guys want to fight? You can fight with each other. Stop fighting with me. Yet they had held fast at one time to being raised from the dead at least at one point so they might be saved and be called brethren the Corinthian church. So what has happened was that the church formed and it formed around the correct gospel. The Sadducees' doctrine had infiltrated the church. Some people had believed the Sadducees' doctrine. And see, they're not just called brethren. In chapter 1, verse 2, they're called saints. So they'd already believed it. They'd already believed it. Their statements are truly contradictory. Okay, you believe Jesus rose from the dead if there's no resurrection from the dead. Not even he rose from the dead. And if he didn't rise from the dead, we're all still in a lot of trouble. If there's no resurrection, Paul's ministry is empty of substance and the object of their faith lacks the power to save. Now, <clears throat> without the resurrection, this is the main point, there's no gospel. It's an essential part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, <clears throat> someone doesn't believe that, try to show them, here's the, here's the witnesses. Give them a Lee Strobel book. Give them a Josh McDowell book. Give them a David Limbaugh book. Give them some, somebody that's been that same route. If you can't talk to them and communicate with them, sometimes it's just a simple thing that has got their their mind at a roadblock and they can't make the adjustment. Sometimes you can give the word, but don't become so arrogant and thinking, well, if they're not going to listen to me, they're not going to listen to anybody. Just give them somebody else. By the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every fact be confirmed. And sometimes we got to hear it from more than one person in different circumstances, different settings, <clears throat> for our mind to finally say, that's right, that's right. So be humble enough to point them somewhere else that they can get the same message. Now, <clears throat> verse 15, if there's no resurrection, the gospel's wrong. 
Moreover, he says, we're even found to be false witnesses. That's a pseudomartus. That's a lying witness used two times. Matthew 26, verse 60, the other place that it's used, it's used of the false witnesses who accused Jesus. Remember, they couldn't find even two people that could agree on anything to charge him with. And so what they do, they concocted a lie between two people. So that's the other place that it's used. And Paul said, if there's no resurrection, we're a false witness. We're as bad as the people that, that lied against Christ. That's, that's who we are. Of <clears throat> the God. I like everywhere that it's put in there because the translators decided they didn't need to put the in front of God every time theos is used in the New Testament. And I, I don't think that's a good thing to omit, especially in a polytheistic culture of the Roman Empire where they believed in many gods. So why not point out the God? There are times that there's no definite article in the New Testament with theos. When that happens, it denotes the quality of who he is. It's pointing us in a different direction. Besides the uniqueness of the God, when it says of God, like some places do, it's talking about his, his quality of who he is. He's not just the God, but he's unique. One of a kind. <coughs> Because we witnessed against the God that he raised the Christ whom he did not raise if in fact the dead are not raised. Paul's reasoning with them here. He is very good at doing that. He'd often go into synagogues and stay long enough to get them mad at him and throw him out. But he would go in and reason with them and say "This this is the Old Testament. This is what we believe. Christians still believe it. Okay? They just the problem is in the interpretation. And here is why the interpret your the old interpretation of the allegorical Jews that took over the, the Judaism between four hundred and the time of Christ. He said this is where the problem is in the interpretation. He was able to show them, just like the stranger on the road to Emmaus. Now, if there's no resurrection, all the apostles are liars. And it makes no difference who baptized who in Corinth or anywhere else. Okay? Weren't they arguing over that in chapter 1? They were arguing over who baptized who. And holding that up as as statuses of elitism. Who baptized you? Well, I was baptized by Peter. I was baptized by Apollos. I was baptized by Paul. And then the one of them steps forward. Well, I was baptized by Christ. He didn't baptize anybody. Seemed like I read that somewhere. And yet they stepped up and said, Well, yeah, I did. I did all that. So they were more interested in who baptized who at Corinth than the fact that he rose from the dead, which is water baptism is a picture of. He died, was buried, and rose again. Now, <clears throat> if there's no resurrection, the apostles are liars, and the apostles are the foundation of the church. So it's this whole church. If there's no resurrection, the whole entity we know as the church is of no value. It's built on a lie. It's false. So <clears throat> it doesn't matter who baptized who in Corinth or anywhere else. 
because all their offerings, their meetings, and their service to others were fruitless. They were useless. They're an exercise in futility. If they didn't believe the resurrection and if he was not raised from the dead, you're just wasting your time, you're wasting your money, you're wasting your effort, is what he's saying. Now, I think Paul believed the resurrection was central to the faith. False witnesses, now think about this, are in direct violation of the law of God. Seemed like that was the ninth commandment, wasn't it? You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And, and that would bring severe discipline, if not the death penalty, under the Mosaic law. If we were false witnesses to this, we should die, is what he is what he's saying. Now, the point is that one can't reject the resurrection and live a Christian life. Okay? How important is that? Because some churches just think, well... He, he didn't really come back literally. I find it interesting, even the allegorical school of interpretation, the book of Revelation, has trouble doing away with Revelation 19 being anything but a literal return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because even though they say it all happened in the past prior to 70 A.D., the preterist position in Revelation 19, he comes back on a white horse. And they have trouble saying that that's already happened. Or that the new heavens and the new earth has already been created and we're living on them. From 19 on, it throws a wrench in their whole system. Because it has to be literal that he has to come back and establish his kingdom. <clears throat> so you can't really reject the resurrection and live the Christian life. Why would you be living the Christian life if you didn't believe in a resurrection? For what what purpose? Now, <clears throat> verse 16, he says, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. In case you missed it the other two times, he says it. If the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is matthios. The other word is kenos, remember? Empty, void of, subject, of substance. Worthless is matthios. It means it's in a vacuum. Somebody asked me one time, does, does the Bible say anything about uh, the phrase, it sucks? It does. Here it is. <laughs> Vacuums pull stuff in, right? If there's a vacuum in your soul, okay, there's a hole in your soul, it's going to pull things in. That's what vacuums do. We pay good money for good vacuum to get the dirt out of the carpet and off the floor, don't we? We That's what it does. It does what it's supposed to. Well, there's a hole, I believe, in the soul that only God can fill. Nothing else will fill it. And sometimes, kind of like the vacuum, I never thought about this illustration, kind of like the vacuum cleaner, I have one that can't withstand one vacuuming in the house because of the dog. That vacuum will pull up a whole nother dog in there that she has left laying all over the house in places she's never been to. I haven't figured that one out yet. But it sucks till it gets full. And then what do you have to do? Empty the bag. 
What about the souls of mankind that has sucked in so much wrong information, false doctrine, false teaching, false uh, 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 thinking? And pull, don't they need a cleaning? Need to empty the bag, fix the filter, Holy Spirit, and start putting the good stuff in, and only God can fill that hole. Only He can fill that hole. Your faith is uh, in a vacuum, worthless, kind of hard to translate it. In a vacuum, that's what it means. It's leading to no end. You're still in your sins. How important is the resurrection? Well, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, he's a false prophet. He didn't really pay for our sins, and did he? How could he pay for our sins, be buried, and not rise from the dead, and you believe that your sins are taken care of? Because it just made him a false prophet. That is a problem. So, <clears throat> your faith is worth You're still in your sins. So, Christ said that he'd be raised from the dead. There's some of the passages that you're going to find this in. Um, I, I find it fascinating still how some people will say, well, the Bible doesn't say he would he would be raised from the dead. And which Bible are you reading? Yeah, I don't care what translation it is. You're going to find it in there. <clears throat> if he was wrong, he was a liar, and thus a sinner, and not qualified to be the Messiah. If he was not the Messiah, faith in him is worthless, for the object of the faith lacks the qualifications. Messiah had to meet certain qualifications. We've been studying the Levitical offerings on Wednesday night, and it, is, it has been a lot of fun to go through there and see, because I don't know how many pastors I've talked to over the years that said, every time they go in and teach a book of the Pentateuch, they end up in a gospel. Next book is a gospel. Why? Because there's so much symbolism they run through the tabernacle, runs through the priesthood. There's so much symbolism. Hebrews 10, that Brian cited this morning, Hebrews 10 said they're all a shadow of the things to come. And so they're a shadow we can learn from them. And we learn about a burnt offering whose who pictures the satisfaction of the righteousness and justice of the Father. We learn about the gift offering because he's the perfect gift that came down out of heaven. That's who he is. Uh, your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. But I'm the bread that came down out of heaven. I'm the one they should have been partaking of. And then the peace offering. That's the manward side of salvation. We're all in a position of hostility. And peace needs to be established. And how do you establish peace between two warring parties? By means of a mediator. Who's Jesus? The mediator of a new covenant. Now, <clears throat> if he was not the Messiah, faith in him is worthless, for the object of the faith lacks the qualifications. If he was not the Messiah, there's been no payment for sins. That's a lot bigger problem. Their teaching would then have to focus on the coming Messiah <clears throat> rather than the glorified Messiah. If you are a first century apostle, first century Corinthian, and you find yourself in there, they need to talk about the Messiah who's going to come because the Messiah who's going to come is going to be noted with a rich man in his death, Isaiah 53, 
and then he's going to be seated on the throne with David. He has to rise again. <clears throat> What's believed has to have substance to have value. There are a lot of people who believe Buddhism is the right way. They believe it with all their heart. They believe Hinduism is the right way. They believe Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness is the right way. They believe Scientology. That's a new one. You don't hear about that very often. But out of Scientology comes the Ascended Masters that I mentioned at the end of the first session. <clears throat> it's got to have substance, to have value. It's got to be real. The object of your faith is where the merit is, not in the ability to have faith. Now, <clears throat> verse 18, here's another conclusion. <clears throat> Most all of us have lost loved ones. And they're Christians. We've lost loved ones. And what if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead? He says, Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. That is the heiress middle of Apolumi. Used 89 times. Only 22 times outside of the Gospels. And it means ruined, the loss of well-being. It doesn't mean non-existence, but he says they, uh, they've, they've perished. And if we have hoped, El Pizzo, in the perfect tense, in other words, saying this is a constant state of our mind, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Paul said if we put all our eggs in one basket here and said that Jesus is the only way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He said if this is where we put all of it, this is the hill we've decided to die on, if you will. He said we are of all men most to be pitied. Now the resurrection of Christ Jesus is the central issue <clears throat> of the Christian faith. Proving the forgiveness of sins. Proving the forgiveness of sins. And the question I would ask, turn to uh, uh, Matthew 9, if you would, with me. Read this passage. Fascinating passage. Not too long after the... Uh, all of the um, Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 9. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and he came to his own city. And behold, they were bringing to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Take courage, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Now what did he just do? <laughs> They wanted the paralysis healed. Right? That's why they brought him to, to Jesus. But they had a great faith that Jesus could do it. And he saw it. And instead of saying, rise, take up your pallet and walk. He said, I'm going to teach him something more important right now. I'm going to say, uh, take courage, my son. Your sins are forgiven. I've taken them away. Boy, howdy. That's, that's quite a declaration, isn't it? 
And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, that's the attorneys, this fellow blasphemes. Wow. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? What is easier to say? <clears throat> your sins are forgiven, arise, take up your pallet, and walk. Now you got to stop and think about that one, don't you? It's easier to say your sins are forgiven because there's no overt thing that you could test to see whether or not it is. So he says, yeah, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. But in order that you may know the Son of Man, oh, there's Jews there, Son of Man, Daniel 7th chapter, title for the Messiah, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, rise, take up your bed, and go home. I'm going to give you something you can see to prove I can do that which you can't see. It's a lot easier to say that. But if I say, rise, take up your pallet, and walk, you expect something, right? If I'm really who I say I am, if I really have authority on earth to forgive sins, I'm going to make a miracle right here in your presence that's going to say, that's going to show I've got the power to do what I say I'll do. <clears throat> and he rose. And he went to his home. But when the multitude saw this, they were filled with awe and glorified God who'd given such authority to men. They still hadn't quite figured it out, had they? <clears throat> he was not just any man. Not at all. But he was God who became man. And he was able to do these. That is a powerful passage. And always has been to me. Because it's, it's he said, I'm going to show you something. Pay careful attention and watch and learn. Jesus often did that which was seen to prove he could do that which was not seen. Because how are you going to prove the unseen? If there's no resurrection, Jesus has not been raised... And we are still lost in our sins. That's what he's saying. We still have a problem. And we need to look for the coming Messiah who will die and be raised. But if he wasn't raised, we don't have anything. If there's no resurrection, death is non-existence. That's not what the Bible teaches, is it? If there's no resurrection, death Physical death is non-existence. That's what some religions believe. Actually, you just go go back to the soil and become fodder. Uh, by the way, I, I don't know if you've heard some of the latest stuff or not, but you can turn your, your body into compost for a tree. <clears throat> In the last days, <laughs> people will be greedy. They will figure out ways to apply climate change <laughs> and make money off of it. They, they are masters of deception. So you can, if you want your body to be, to be compost for a tree, that's fine. But please don't take, a, uh, uh, please don't take that as a, 
I like the I like that good, bad, and the ugly. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> We're gonna. Am I gonna be compost for tree? You know, I don't care. <laughs> I really don't care. I have, my grandmother and I had a conversation a long time ago, and my grandmother was not much for conversation, but she was one for lecturing. And uh, she was commenting about somebody getting cremated and how pagan that was. <laughs> and I said, um, didn't the Egyptians mummify people? <laughs> Wasn't that pagan too? And she she never did say, you're right. <laughs> she just didn't do stuff like that. <laughs> but she, uh, I thought, you know, if the God who spoke and brought the heavens into existence, if my ashes are scattered out all over the planet, he's going to bring me back together anyway. I don't care what you do. Take my ashes, put them on an ocean floor. And by the way, you can do that for money too out in California. I don't know if you knew that or not. The uh, the Neptune Club or whatever it is out there, you die, you get cremated. You take your urn. I don't know if the urn is waterproof or not, but they take you out to this old kind of semi-Atlantis place that they've got made out there where they got all of these all these urns set up out there. The sea shall give up its dead. I find that interesting, don't you? No matter where where you find yourself, people have thought, well, if I don't preserve the body, God won't have anything to raise. And then I think about people who who uh, died in service to the Lord and had their uh, John Huss in the 1300s, his ashes ashes strewn through the river so they could get rid of him, and instead it just went all over. He was standing up for the for what was right and what was against what was wrong and he he paid for it and a lot of places think well if you can get rid of the body you've condemned that person to hell uh nope it's all about who did you believe it still goes back to that we get all the what ifs in there and we really miss the point moreover Christians are found to be false witnesses of God if there is no resurrection and we deserve the pity of mankind for being so deceived and so stupid. Now, you know what we're getting right now from mankind, a lot of them? We're actually getting pity for being so stupid as to be Christians. Whoever, who would have ever thought that, especially in the, in the United States? Who would have ever thought that? But people think that Christians are all stupid. And they don't know up from down. They're a bunch of deceived uh, people who get who get uh, sucked into this myth and uh, go after us accordingly. It's interesting. A lot of times they believe we're stupid, but they don't show any pity along the way. We're just a product of our own decisions. Well, so are they. We can go right back at them. Every religion except atheism believes there's something after this life. Because God set eternity in the hearts of men. In Ecclesiastes 3.11 it says just that. So if you were to, if you were to just say, well, what, what about, why should I start looking for a Savior? Well, because <clears throat> if you think back as far as you can go, someone or something's always been here. It's someone or something. There's no other options. 
People have tried to prove that they coexisted throughout all of eternity. Aristotle tried that, and he failed. So, but anyway, we're smarter than Aristotle now by you know long shot. We have computers, so an artificial intelligence, which I contend we've had artificial intelligence for a long time, just not been in a computer setting. But if you go back as far as you can, someone or something has to be here as an ultimate cause of all things. We learn that from thermodynamics, cause and effect. Where there is an effect, there has to be a sufficient cause. Otherwise, there's not going to be any effect. So there has to be a sufficient cause. And we, we ask, what? It's either a person or thing. Okay? No other choices. Well, a reasonable choice is that it's an intelligent being. An unreasonable choice is that it's a rock or a gas or primeval soup or an ooze that somehow out of this ooze came life. To me, that's a thoroughly unreasonable uh, option. So I'll start with a person. If you just read the Bible in the beginning... (laughs) God created the heavens and the earth that solve a whole lot of empty thinking. But anyway, if you got to figure out how to get there. Now, two things he put inside. If you start with, there is, there is a person who made the heavens and the earth and caused all this. Then you, then you start saying, well, what does everybody know? First of all, every religion on the face of the earth, except atheism, believes there's something beyond this life. Every one of them does. Now, atheism, I don't believe anybody's born an atheist. Some would argue that they were. I don't think so. But I don't think they're born an atheist, but they become atheists. Because God didn't do things the way that they wanted him to do them or whatever. It didn't get explained well, whatever it was. Everybody, every world religion knows there's something beyond this life. And every world religion knows there's such a thing as missing the mark. Verse Brian read this morning, Romans 3.23, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody knows it, even if you've made New Year's resolutions and failed in them. Everybody knows there's a missing of the mark. So you find yourself a sinner. That's what sin means, to miss the mark. Facing eternity. Every human being faces that. Now, there's only two options to solve the problem because it is a problem if you're a sinner facing eternity. Some people try to say there is no such thing as sin, so they try to solve the problem that way. But they know that they themselves have failed. So you either have to find a way to save yourself, which is all the world religions, or you have to find a savior. Now, only one Religion, if you will, says you need a savior. And that's Christians. We are not just like any other world religion. We are different. We are separate. We are unique. We believe you have to find a savior. Now, if I'm looking for a savior, what do I want? Somebody can save me from oppressive political power? Do I want somebody that can save me for the, the planet from corroding and falling apart. What do I want somebody can save me from? Sin and death. Only one of them ever claimed to do that. And only one of them provided sufficient proof that he did. 
Jesus is the only reasonable decision any human being can make when you stop and look at it. It's a demonstration of apologetics. See what Paul is doing for us here? This is a simple demonstration of apologetics. Apologetics means defending the faith. You see what he's doing? First of all, he establishes facts. Okay, These are facts. This is what happened. It has been witnessed. These are the facts. He establishes those. And then he states some peripheral facts. Besides being seen by the disciples, which could have been biased, I did find that film I've talked to you about. It's uh, You can look up um, Babylon B and look up the resurrection hoax. Okay? And you will, you will find this uh, five-minute short video of the disciples coming together after Jesus died and them deciding that they're going to turn this into a hoax and leave it to the Babylon B to put the hoax on you because it's... <laughs> It shows how ridiculous all that is. But he states the peripheral facts. And then he states the heresy. Some people say there is no resurrection of the dead. So he he establishes the facts the way he starts. He leads with the truth. Peripheral facts as needed. States the heresy. Points out inconsistencies in the premise. So there's a problem here. If Christ has not been raised, nobody's been raised. If Christ has not been raised, we're lost in our sins still. And then, coming up, he states the true doctrine. He's going to tell us what it is, starting in verse 20. Now, resurrection turns the church from a museum to a ministry. You think about just some important things. Because the church will become a museum. It'll become a museum for saints instead of a hospital for sinners. That's what a church will become. But the resurrection proves that we've got a we've got a new thing coming. We find also that because of the cross, we can look back without any fear. He was crucified in the most horrible way ever invented by man, as it's been described. And guess who walked away from the tomb? He did. What is man able to do to me? David wrote in Psalm 56. What can he do? He can kill me. So what? Because of the resurrection, we can look ahead without fear. How important is the resurrection? We can look back and go, our sins have been forgiven. We can look forward and go, I've got an eternity with God. I know I have eternal life. I'm not concerned about it anymore. Because of the ascension, you can look up without fear. Think about that. You can look back, you can look forward, and you can look up. How terrible it would be to wake up on this day and have no voice to shout, He is risen. How much more to have a voice and not want to shout. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, again for your love and mercy and grace and your blessings. Thank you for all your tests. Thank you for this little band of your kids that get together and assemble and open up your word. And, Father, thank you for your word. 
that enlightens us and encourages us and inspires us. And Father, may we take it with us as we leave here today that we might be your witnesses in all the earth. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen.